Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. When you start off, you've got to give it a long time. And if I look at the stats of the number of downloads we'd had in the first six months, you can't just look at it at that time frame. You've got to look at a much greater time frame. Called a Me Too branding, uh, where the idea is there's some market leader out there, and then we're going to start a, an offering, a brand that just cozies up as close as we can get to the existing brand. We'll be as similar as we can in all the possible ways. And then we'll charge a little bit less. I say to them, how do you think I bloody got there? <laughs> you know, by doing these things and moreover by That's providing value. Granted to you at birth, <laughs> you inherited a large LinkedIn following from your father. Absolutely. So Ryan, you, you know that we we do two sort of we do pickles, don't we? We do, and we do five rules. Yes, you know, sort of regular things to try to put a framework around us. Well, for the first time ever, we're going to mix them up. Oh, five pickles! <laughs> five pickles. <laughs> no, one pickle, oh. but with ten, ten things that you need to think about. So. This let, sounds let, less let, like a combination and more like you're just destroying the format, Colin. It, it, it's just a bonus. It's just a bonus for everyone. I've had a, a number of people reach out to me and basically say that they've been laid off or they're looking for a career change. They've been asking my advice. So how do you start a consultancy? Because clearly, you know, it, it, with recessions coming and all the rest of it, numbers of layoffs there are in the industry one of the you know that sort of a bit of a life-changing point and a number of people are starting to go well actually i've always wanted to start my own consultancy so maybe i should i mean i suspect that's that. secretly the dream right for most yeah. people who are working in kind of yeah and related areas like i think that's pretty common people yes no absolutely so i sat down and i've thought of 10 things that if, if you had come to me asking me some advice on how to create a successful consultancy, here are the 10 things that I would suggest that you need to think about or do. Okay. Right. One, be brave and be committed. Okay. The brave bit is when... You've heard me say this before, but there's a really good book that I would suggest that anybody that's in this position reads called Who Moved My Cheese? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sure a number of people have read it. There's one killer question in there that I think is uh, really important, which is what would you do if you weren't scared? So if you're thinking about doing it, if you, you know, you're considering the pros and cons, then the danger is that our old friend loss aversion comes in and we start thinking about all the negatives and everything else and then we we don't necessarily go away and do it but think about you know the answer to that question for you now that doesn't mean 
that you should then just start it because there's a number of other things that you have to be realistic about. And one of them is you've got to be uh, committed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what would you do if you weren't scared? But now also, what would you do if you weren't impulsive? So let's... Uh, yes, let's that's a, that may be a supplementary book that you could you could write. No, but that, I mean, it's a great perspective, right? Like, um, yes, okay. it's very, I mean, it depends on your personality, but it's very easy to come up with reasons not to do things, which is why yes. I don't leave the house that often. Yes. But if you want to start a consultancy, you need to think more broadly than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, and that sort of does tie into the next one, actually, which is all about the mindset that you need. Okay. And I think this is, again, uh, really important. As I've sat down, it's been quite a cathartic experience to sit down. And, and I actually spoke to Lorraine, my wife, about it and said to her, what does she think? Um, because obviously she's seen me over the last 22 years of uh, go through this stuff. One is, particularly at the beginning, bearing in mind that I came from a large corporate organization. And then I started up with a colleague of mine. Uh, who was there for the first year. We worked together, obviously, but not physically together. And one of the things I've written here is prepared to be lonely. Yeah. Which I know is fine for you, mate, but it's a nightmare for me. (laughs) But it can be from going from having lots of people around you that you can bounce ideas off to suddenly having one person at the end of a phone. Yeah. I don't think Skype was even around at that point. It can be lonely. That's part of the mindset. The other part of the mindset is not giving up, okay? Because I think I've known people who have started down this route of wanting to set up their own consultancy, and they think it's going to be easy, and it's not. Yeah. They think they're going to get loads of business from their mates who are still back in the company or whatever else. And they don't. Yeah. And they end up giving up. Okay. And I think that's a, that's a really big thing. The other area under, under mindset is that I've put here is um, one of the key times for me. And I can always remember that I was on a train on the way into London and I was starting to sort of think all this stuff through. So bear in mind that this was 20 years ago. Customer experience hadn't been, wasn't really being talked about by anybody. But I'd been running a program on improving it for the last three years. And the key bit of mindset was I suddenly realized that I was an expert in this topic. And it wasn't that I didn't know about the topic. I knew a lot about the topic. The problem that I had was nobody knew I was an expert. Right. Yeah. And when I got to that realization, I suddenly thought, bloody hell, that means I've got to spend a lot of time telling people and positioning the fact that I'm an expert and doing things. So we had a, we then put in place a whole lot of PR and getting on TV and radio and various different things to, to effectively show people my knowledge. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you need, you need your bona fides and those, those can come from a lot of different places. The fact that somebody's heard of you, right, because they've seen you on TV or on radio or something. I mean, that's that's evidence that you are an expert. You know, if you can point to 
a book that you've published or white paper that you published, right? Or if you know you've developed a blog that's created a following. So it's not like there's one path to getting there. But yeah, if you want people to spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to hire you for your expertise, you need to provide some evidence of the expertise. Absolutely. This is another key thing for me because in the early days, I was clearly saying I was an expert, okay, because mm-hmm. I, I thought I was. But here's the issue, and it built on what you were just saying. I don't think you actually are until somebody else tells you you are. And when somebody else says he knows what he's talking about, he's an expert in this topic, et cetera, et cetera, I think that for me is the measure of whether you've made it or not. I think that's that's key. If you're hiring a consultant, you are hiring them for their expertise, right? Yes. So yes. that that is your value proposition. Like that is why somebody would hire you. And so yes. the the more evidence you can provide for that, the easier you can make it for them to assess that, um, then yes. the more successful you'll be in yes. getting business. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it's clearly one of the reasons it's one of the reasons why we wrote a book in the first place at the beginning. Yeah. And and let me also be clear, I didn't invent that. That's a well-worn path for people to get yeah. established. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you write a book, you seem to be an expert. And that's because we didn't self-publish. There was very little self-publishing in those days. But if, if one of the big publishing houses, uh, we, we had Palgrave, Macmillan, you know, if they're willing to put their money where their mouth is, then um, because they think what you're saying is the right thing, that, that helps. Okay, a couple of other things under this mindset thing, which I think, again, are important, particularly if you're coming from the corporate world. One is you move from being a hero to zero. So you move from being, so I was a senior director, senior vice president, uh, to put it in American terms. And I used to have three and a half thousand people working for me. Mm. If I said jump, people used to say how high. Yeah. Then realizing when you start up on your own, you don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. If you want some something done, you guess what? You do it yourself. You don't have swathes of people wishing, you know, to do your bidding for you. You're you collating your own copies at that point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, number three. So that was under just mindset. I probably I should have had ten underneath the mindset thing, but um, I think mindset. Really good. pushing this five rules thing to its limit, Colin. I don't, <laughs> I don't respect. Well, I, I am already because there were ten. So it's it's five rules with five bonus points. So there you go. Number three is three sub bullets under each one. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We always like to give value. That's there you right. go. Number three is be prepared for hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've ever worked as hard in my life yeah. uh, as I have and worked weekends, evenings. Yeah, just it's a hell of a lot of hard work. In a previous podcast we've done, you, you mentioned the fact that um, you thought that uh, balance was, work-life balance was important. And I totally agree with that. But if you think that, don't do what I did. Because it was just work, 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 work. I mean, and some of that comes down to the the practical response to the fact that you just don't have that the people to do. Correct. Some of the job, so you end up having to do it yourself, and that just takes time. 
And, and it, I tell you what, mate, the thing I also learned was it's surprising how long that rubbish stuff takes yeah. to go and get 20 copies of this so you can give a paper copy to somebody. Now, the good thing nowadays, you don't have to do that. But, you know, just to do that, then the printer bloody breaks down and this happens and that happens. So anyway, number four, um, this is an important one. Understand and complement your weaknesses. Mm. So when I started off, whilst I had large corporate experience, which has been the main part for our, our marketplace that we've been addressing, so in other words, selling into large corporates, so I know them well, what I didn't have was any small business experience. And running a small business and running a corporate are very different. Yeah, We ended up partnering with a guy that retired three or four years ago, and he effectively knew finance. He knew how to run an office. He'd been a serial entrepreneur, and he knew all the things that I didn't know. And that was a bloody good decision, basically. So this is often overlooked, I think, by entrepreneurs where they have some expertise, some skills that are valuable. And then they go into business not realizing that the running of a small business is an entirely different set of skills. And there may be like another set of skills around like sales, for instance, that is an entirely different set of skills. Yes. And so making a, a corporation run, even a small business, uh, requires a lot of complementary skills. And it's very, very few people that have all of them or that have the time to do all of them, even if they did have the skills. Yes, absolutely. I, basically, I couldn't have done it without Dave. He knew all of the, the, I say, the finances, how to run an office, the the problems and pitfalls and blah, 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 blah. And there are a number. Number five is, uh, and this is one of the things that I think is really important. The great thing about starting your own company is you can make long-term decisions. So if I just, as an example, think about this podcast do you remember when we started talking about this and we deliberated for bloody weeks, it felt like, about should we do it, should we not do it, would we have enough to talk about? You remember those days? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then it was, well, maybe we should do it, but only do it every other week. And we finally went, let's do it every week. And when you start something, and this is just an example, basically, but it's the same, it's, it's true with the number of things. When you start off, You've got to give it a long time. And if I look at the stats of the number of downloads we'd had in the first six months, you can't just look at it at that time frame. You've got to look at a much greater time frame. If I look now, we get about 15,000 downloads every month, half a million over the, over the period of time. A lot, basically. If we had started off at that point, you would have gone, of course, well, it's a no-brainer that you, you should do that. But there you go. Anyway, so so making long-term decisions. Yeah, and, and like planning for that slow ramp up. So the like the little bit of that I've read about entrepreneurship, the even very successful small businesses take a while to get to profitability. And they say yes. the number one problem that entrepreneurs face is that they don't plan for they don't plan far enough ahead for those lean years. So even if you're getting revenue in just being able to cover those expenses. And it usually takes two to five years before you can start turning a profit long-term, depending on what type of business you're starting. 
And a lot of people just do not plan that far ahead. They think, you know, oh, six months or a year or a year and a half. And the reality is if you're going to make it, make it work, unless you're extraordinarily lucky, it's probably going to take that longer period of time. And so are you planning for that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And in fact, I was, I, I should have mentioned at the beginning, I was looking at some stats on small businesses and this is US. Uh, so nearly one in five businesses fell within the first five years, according to the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. And 65% fail after 10 years. We've been going for 20. I couldn't find a stat on that. But so I guess, again, it's just not in your it's just not in your favor, is it, basically? Both of those numbers are much more favorable than I would have assumed. Uh, I would assume the failure rate sure. would be much higher than that. But, sure, um, so sure. That's good. Ryan, we've reached a new milestone, mate. What is that? I now have 70,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. 70,000. That's very impressive, Colin. That just so happens to be slightly more than the capacity of the first energy stadium where the Cleveland Browns play in Cleveland, Ohio. I've got to tell you, mate, that doesn't surprise me. My milestone doesn't seem as good now you mention Cleveland Browns. <laughs> uh, hey, beating the Cleveland Browns is still an accomplishment. It still is. <laughs> it would be for my five-year-old, but not for most football teams. Anyway, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, go onto LinkedIn and search for Why Customers Buy, or just go to my profile, Colin Shaw, and sign up for a free LinkedIn newsletter. Number five is make long-term decisions. Number six is, you, in my view, you've got to have an original thought. So there's no point in going, I'm going to be a consultant. Okay, great. What subject? You know, what's your expertise? Well, in this area. Okay, great. So what are you saying that's different to everybody else? You know, and you, again, you've heard me say this. For me, it's about zigging when everybody else is zagging. Okay. And we'd always, I'd always think, thought that emotions were key. And then over the last, what, 10 years, started to focus around this behavioral science because I think that's key and I think tied in there is uh, another piece which is you've got to continuously improve and pivot because if I started just talking about the same thing I was talking about 20 years ago nobody would be interested because everybody's caught up with that thinking now so you've got to you've got to have an original thought otherwise you're just you're just a it's a body shop, isn't it? You, you're employed to come in and write Excel spreadsheets as a consultant, but you know that's just because you know, and you can get them to a penny basically. Yeah, there's this phenomenon in marketing called a Me Too branding, right? Uh, where the idea is there's some market leader out there, and then we're going to start a, an offering, a brand that just cozies up as close as we can get to the existing brand. We'll be as similar as we can in all the possible ways. And then we'll charge a little bit less. And so, you know, we'll, we'll be like the same. And there are markets that where that's viable. I always caution my students, though, that um, it's, it's just it's risky to be 
to not have anything special about your offering other than the lower price, which is what a Me Too strategy generally is. Sure. Like we're going to be as close as we can to this dominant player, but we're, we'll be a lower price. In consulting, that's a disaster. Like in consulting, I'm, I'm looking for expertise. I'm yes. looking yeah. for insight. And so the idea that there are going to be a lot of customers out there who are like, Give me the cheapest consultants you can find. Like that, that seems like a weird, like I want insights, but I also want to save a lot of money. The value proposition, the value offering is that you've got insights. You've got new thing, new ideas to sell. And so if you're, if you're not producing that, then you're really undercutting the value you can offer. So yeah, you got to I totally agree. And that's a good observation. Number seven, provide value to your customer and provide value to your audience, okay? That, again, sort of ties on with having that original thought, okay? People sit here, not sit here, but people talk to me and they go, it's all right for you, Colin. You've got 293,000 followers on LinkedIn. You've got 75,000 people on your LinkedIn newsletter. You've written seven books. It's all right for you. And I and I, I say to them, look, how do you think I bloody got there? <laughs> you know, by right. doing these things, and moreover, by providing value granted to you at birth, um, you, know, you inherited <laughs> large LinkedIn following from your father. father. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, and just on that, so so providing value is key, and just on that, I mean, the newsletter. I'm, you and I have spoken about this before, but the newsletter has grown by 65% in a year, 65%. And that's at a time, and this is the LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. If you, if you haven't listened to it, subscribe to it, and please do. It's grown by 65%. Talking about bit about um, experts, you know, you know you're an expert when somebody tells you. Uh, and we've had, I've had two or three articles written where they've gone you know these are newsletters to follow okay and again i'm not trying to promote it i'm just trying to show people's uh, the, the effect it, it that it has and that's all based on turning around and going how can we provide value to our audience how do we do these podcasts and then the newsletters and everything else that ties on it that has some original thought provide some insights and will be valuable for people and guess what the measure is how many people subscribe, how many people uh, are followers, et cetera. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. The, and the other thing I would put within that is, and one of the key things that our audience likes, and this is from the feedback that we've got from the reviews that people have written, kindly written to us, is I think the thing that we do is not be pretentious. Mm -hmm. So we lark about. Have you noticed that? I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But I think that's an important thing. And I think the other thing that's important that I think that we do, and therefore if you're a consultant that you should be doing, is your job is to make a complicated subject simple. So to have that insight, but to be able to communicate it to people in such a way that they can understand because there are many, many people out there that are very clever and cleverer than I am, but they can't communicate it. They can't communicate their thought. 
number eight. Oh, and sorry, under that customer piece, okay. the other key number thing. Seven B. Yes. So number, this goes back to the value piece because this is important. Repeat business. We get a lot of repeat business. We get a lot of customers who leave their company, who then join another company and go, hey, Colin, can you come in and do what you've just done? Well, you know, you remember three years ago you did that. Can you come in and do that again? And it's great, clearly, yeah. But they wouldn't do that again if they didn't think that we'd done a good job, provided the insights and done all the other things. Number eight, remember always cash is king. Okay. <laughs> uh, and this goes back to your comment earlier about profitability. Somebody, one, one of the guys said to me once, which I thought was a great phrase, everything's funny when you're making money. Yeah. But we've gone through tough times sure. you know, in the in the recession and or the, the Great Recession. Tough times. Yeah. And in a small business, you, you tend to go from feast to famine, particularly when you're much smaller. It's always feast and famine. You've either got too much work on or, or not enough. But you've got to remember that cash is king. And also remember that you may have a mate who works for a company, a large company that they employ you, getting paid by that company is a different kettle of fish. We have lots of really nice clients and they have finance and procurement who I have to say can be a challenge sometimes. And particularly when it's just simple things like getting them to pay the bill when they say they're going to pay the bloody bill can be a nightmare basically. Yeah, and consulting is hard because it's you you often can't like withhold delivery of a product until they pay. Sure. <laughs> like the the well, service is so, the information, and once the information has been communicated, like you lose some of your leverage. Yeah, and, and the, the, the problem you end up with is you, you don't want to you don't wanna you know that if you did that, that's hurting your customer. Oh yeah. That's not hurting finance yeah. and, or, or procurement. That's hurting your customer. Now, in my experience, again, if you're open and honest with your customer, they understand it, but and they typically are also equally as frustrated with their finance groups and everything else. So anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole, otherwise I'll wax lyrical about that. But remember that cash is king. Number nine is experiment and adapt. Hmm. Constantly come up with new ideas and experiment with them. One of our best-selling services that we provide is this emotional signature. You you know it well. It's a way of looking at what drives value. If it wasn't for a couple of the guys, to be fair, that come up with that as an idea and then, you know, us investing in it and then trying it, piloting it with some customers and trying those new things, you've constantly got to try new things and yeah. experiment and adapt. Yeah, and, and do that in a smart way. Like, are there... Are you betting the firm that this next initiative is going to work? Yes. Or are you trying it out in some limited fashions that give you the opportunity to refine and make changes? And, you know, uh, because not not everything you try will work. No, Things require some adaptation. So that's great. Last one I would mention is be focused. So 
what do I mean by that is the the area of customer experience is actually quite vast. Yeah. And we could have gone into various different areas, employee experience, focus much more on journey mapping, whatever, 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 whatever. But it's a bit that phrase, keep to your knitting, do what you're good at. The danger is, is that you can get distracted by this new big shiny object over here that actually think of the money you could make if you if you moved over there and did that, et cetera, et cetera. What you also do is you defocus on the area where that you're good at. So I think being focused is uh, another important one. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of different ways of thinking about that. There's the kind of the the delivery. Uh, maybe this goes back to creating customer value. Like if you're distracted, if you are working outside of your area of expertise, like there's there's a good chance you're going to be delivering an inferior product. Um, yeah, so definitely. So that boosts the value you provide your customer. Yes. There's also a branding issue there. Like if you're going to be known for something, particularly for a type of expertise, yes. then diluting that brand by saying, oh no, we, we do. I remember I, um, I saw a, a moving truck once where the slogan on the side was, we specialize in everything. <laughs> now, first of all, it was a moving truck. Like how many types of moving are we talking about for your <laughs> But I, I do feel like some companies take that approach where it's like, yeah, we'll do anything. Like we'll, we'll chase money anywhere that it, it can. Yes. And that can be problem. especially tempting when you're a small firm. It is. And you haven't got anybody else to tell you not right. to. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, picking up extra work is great. But if your brand doesn't stand for something, it stands for nothing. And so. Yes. Very if, much. Uh, if you're selling based on your expertise and you're you're not reinforcing that expertise in the long term, that can be dangerous. That's great. Yeah, a bit of advice. Yeah, very much so. So those are the ten things. So again, take a step back, and I'll I'll just run through them all as well as a summary. But if you are going to start your cons- consultancy or thinking of doing it these 10 things that I think you need to think about. One is you need to be committed and brave. Two is the whole area about having the right mindset. And I went through a number of things in there. Three is be prepared for hard work. Four is you need to complement your weaknesses, uh, recognize your weaknesses and complement. Five is make some long-term decisions and long-term bets. Six is have an original thought. You've got to, you've got to, Zig when others zag and you've got to think about what area you're going to differentiate yourself in. Seven is provide value to your customers or to your audience. Eight is remember cash is king. Nine is experiment and adapt. And 10 is be focused. And if you do all of that, then you stand a chance of being successful. And if you don't, then you won't. In yeah, even if you do all of that, it's still going to be hard. Um, yeah, I agree. Totally agree. We're going to be, totally you know, the yeah. deck is stacked against you. But yeah, I think that's yeah. a great set of advice for somebody wanting to get started. Good. Okay. And if you do do, if you do do, can I say do do? Uh, it's your podcast, man. <laughs> uh, if you do do those things and you are successful or you're not or you want some advice then just reach out to us on linkedin i'm always happy to to give some advice 
So thanks so much, everybody. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>